Heavenly Father, we, uh, when we don't know what to sing or we don't know what to pray, we say that. We pray that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because um, it says in your words that, in your word, that there are angels in heaven who sing that constantly. And they will sing it constantly for all eternity. That's their job. That's all they do. They just sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so, Lord, we, we return to that. We land on that. Um, we throw our roots down into that, Lord Jesus. And this morning, Heavenly Father, we sing those words petitioning for your Holy Spirit to be here, for your presence to be here this morning. As we pray every Sunday, we don't want to take a step forward until we know you're in the room because we don't want to miss it. We don't want to just have a Sunday morning church experience, Lord. We want to experience the Holy Spirit this morning. We want to encounter your word this morning. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would be here. I pray that you would affect our hearts, that you would get in there and start cleaning stuff out. But, Lord, make make it work right, the proper working of each individual part. Lord, we pray that this morning. We need you. We need you to be here. We constantly say we cannot do it without you. And that's how we live our life. So we love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Welcome this morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Let's go ahead and get those, those lights turned back on right there. So you guys aren't sitting in the dark, you know, some of, some of us have trouble seeing certain things, so we need some light. Um, but welcome this morning, and um, jumping right into things, uh, continuing in the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a book where God petitions, or I guess commissions Nehemiah to go build the wall, rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And we've been looking through the first, we're only in verse 9, we've been going through Nehemiah since the first of the year and it's taken us a while to get to this point. But we're in the middle of Nehemiah's prayer. Um, and I should say we're kind of nearing the end. We're not necessarily in the middle of it anymore. But Nehemiah is about to bring this thing to an end and we're looking at, at verses 8 and 9 today. Now last week we looked at verses um, 7 and 8. So I'm looking at verse eight, taking verse 8 and putting it in today's message again. But two weeks ago, we talked about this word confession. What does that word really mean? So to bring you up to speed, you guys know I always try to bring you up to, to the now. Two weeks ago, we talked about this word confession. And that the Greek word for that is homo lego. Homo meaning the same. Lego meaning to say. So when you confess your sins, you're saying the same thing about your sins that God is saying. You agree with him. So that shows us there's power in agreement. But there's only power not on the side where you beat yourself up about your sin, but when you agree with the Lord on his redemptive nature, on what he did concerning sin. You got to have one and the other. You can't have one without the other. Does that make sense? We're agreeing with the Lord on our sins so that he can do something with it. That's what true confession is about. And then last week, the title of the message was the objective statement saying that heart matters are always the heart of the matter. So said a little bit differently matters of the heart what's going on in here is always the heart of the matter the lord is always concerned about what's going on behind your your sternum Uh, the motive behind why you're doing what you're doing 
he sees that. And guess what? No matter what you do, no matter what you put on, no matter what face you try to wear in any certain, cer- certain circumstance, he always sees your heart. You can't hide from it. You just can't get away from it. So why try to? Now, in that message, I used uh, a statement saying that because he's looking at your heart, he's always trying to move you in those matters of your heart. He's trying to move you from the cross to the crown. He's trying to move you from death to life. He's worried about what's going on behind your sternum so that he can get you from a place of viewing things, not in the negative, but the positive, from death to life. Are you guys with me this morning? So that brings us up to these verses, verses 8 and 9. And I always spend time preparing these messages saying, Lord, is this what you want me to say? And sometimes I get right up here and everything that I've prepared in the week, hey, that's it. But sometimes he changes it. And today I think he's changing a little bit of it. And so uh, I don't want to say bear with me because I'm going to let the Spirit do what he's going to do and he's going to have his way this morning. Amen? Uh, But if I was to ask you this question as we get into these these verses. We're not going to read them yet. I got to kind of set this up, then we're going to read them, then we're going to look at some other scripture. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, because you'll hear me say this every Sunday and it will never get old. Bring your Bible because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take the word's word for it. God's word. Amen. So we're going to be in scripture today. Hallelujah. (laughs) So uh, before we jump into that, if I was to ask you the question, what is true confession? What, what's the, excuse me, what's the purpose? There we go. What's the purpose of true confession? Where does it, where does it lead us? And you're asking, I ask you that question, and you may be formulating a, an answer in your mind, but if you think about it, true confession is the removal. Excuse me. The purpose of confession is to remove that which separates us from the character of Christ operating in our life. So if I was to read that backwards, there's an operation that we're supposed to step into, and that is pertaining to the character of who Christ is. In order to get to that, if we're separated from it, what I need to do is I need to get some stuff out of my life. I need to confess. So the purpose of confession is so that you can be closer to the Father, not only for the sake of being close to the Father, but so that his characteristics and his character can function and operate within you. Does that make sense? There's a purpose to that. There's a purpose to confession. So, if that's the case, then true confession, which we looked at in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, if you don't know what true confession is, go to that, that address, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. True confession brings something. It brings true repentance. That's also in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, 9 through 11. But here's where we're going with this today. And I want you to hang on this word. True repentance brings restoration. True repentance brings restoration. And I want you to hang on that word restoration today because that is what today is about. It's about restoration. There are things that you have been fighting 
and being diligent in and enduring, having endurance through. And we could go down the list. And sometimes you get tired. You just get tired and you fall flat on your face. Let's be real this morning. And the Lord wants to bring you to a place where there's restoration in your life. Now, how often do we try to restore ourselves? We're going to see the difference between man-made restoration and Christ-made restoration. But if true confession brings true repentance, then true repentance brings restoration. And here's what I want you to understand about repentance. Repentance isn't just feeling bad. Confession, we've said, isn't just feeling bad about something. Confession is agreeing with God about the sin. And then we look at the sin and understand that that pains the Lord when we jump into that. So what it causes me to do, here's what repentance is in layman's terms. There's the sin. There's the thing that I need to turn away from. What I do is I stop looking at that. And I take a 180 degree turn and walk the other way. Ladies and gentlemen, I walk the other way. It's one thing to turn around and stay there. But the Lord's asking you to move towards something else. True repentance is a 180 degree turn and a movement towards something else. If you're not truly repenting, you kind of turn and then you take another turn. And then you find out that you've taken enough turns to equal 360 degrees. And you're right back where you started. Why? Because we didn't start at true confession. If I start with the reality of what confession is, understanding and agreeing with God about sin, then it causes me to see that sin for what it is. And I want to turn the other way. I want to get away from that. So true confession brings true repentance, 180 degree turn, which should bring true restoration. Now those first two, let me say this, they have to do with you. You have to choose to confess and choose to agree. Then you got to choose to turn. But what we don't understand is that restoration has nothing to do with you. Restoration starts with God and it ends with God. Now if I was to explain to you that statement, why does it start with God and why does it end with God? Take a look at your life and the things that you've said, I want to turn from. What did you replace that thing with? Did that thing that you replaced that addiction or that, that sin with, did it point you towards the cross? Or do you find yourself jumping right back into it? Do you find yourself at the same place? I'm just going to put that question out there for you guys to, to, to ponder. As we read, let, let, let's read Nehemiah 1, 8 and 9. And then I'm going to make one more statement. And we're going to look at some other scripture that helps support this word restoration. See, Nehemiah knows what returning looks like. We're going to talk about why he's praying it this way. Why he's letting this stuff come out of his mouth. Excuse me. So verse 8 and 9, it says, and this is the NASB, Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, 
though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to a place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. See, Nehemiah is praying this. He's saying to the Lord, remember the word which you said to Moses. Remember what you said. And then he recites it. In this, Nehemiah is communicating not only to God, but to us through prayer, his prayer, that he understands and knows what returning looks like. He understands what taking that 180 degree turn from something and moving towards something else, what that really looks like. So I'm going to make this statement. I'm going to explain it a little bit. And I'm going to show you how verse 9, the beginning of verse 9 is so huge. To repent and not know what you're uh, being restored to. To repent and not know what you're being restored to is unhealthy. Completely unhealthy. To turn away from that thing and not know what you're walking towards puts you behind the eight ball. So what Nehemiah is saying in verse 9 speaks to what he's returning to. And the question I have for you guys this morning, let's, let's, let's be real with ourselves. Do we even know what we're returning to? Do you even know what restoration looks like? Because I guarantee everybody in here wants restoration. You want to be healed. You want to be brought to a place where everything is good. Whatever you can define good as. <laughs> everybody wants to come to that place. But do you even know what that place looks like? So I'm going to take somebody who wants to break an addiction. Everybody in here, I don't want to say everybody's got an addiction, but hey, you, you may have dealt with some kind of deep-rooted addiction in your life at some point. Let's just take something that's simple, like somebody who says, I want to not smoke anymore, right? But what I'm going to do to get out of that is I'm going to take all the money that I've put into these cigarettes, and I'm going to put it into a gym membership, get my body right. And I'm going to do it for my kids, Let's just throw that one in there as well. I have not had the wonderful opportunity to raise kids yet, so there is that, but I'm using it as an analogy, okay? We'll go to the other side with people who don't have kids so I can speak to the rest of you guys, including me in here, all right? But if you think about those two things, I want to quit smoking for my kids and so that I can get healthy. Those sound like some really good things, don't they? They sound like the very reason why you should break an addiction. But let me ask you this question. What happens when your kids don't acknowledge the fact that you're trying to break this addiction for them? Does that mess with your motivation? Does that then make you want to go back to smoking because the reason why you're doing it has kind of lost its, its bottom to it? The bottom's fallen out of that? So let's, let's take all this money that you're putting into this gym. What happens when you skip a day or two or ten? <laughs> all of a sudden it's like all this money that I'm pouring into this thing is being wasted. Well, you were wasting money when you put it into the cigarettes. So what's the difference? Let's take it on to the other side. What happens when your kids 
are glorifying you for the fact that you've stopped smoking, stopped this addiction. Then your kids become the reason why, all right? Take it to the other side with the gym. You're there all the time. All of a sudden, it holds your attention. All of a sudden, you start scheduling people around that time (laughs) because you don't want to miss it. Because it has become so important in your life that nothing else matters. Okay? If you don't know what you're being restored to, then restoration, the whole process, is unhealthy. And it's unhealthy because what I just got done explaining, I've heard it explained, that what we do is we take an addiction and we remove it and then we replace it with another addiction and call it healing. You guys catch that? That's what, that's what Nehemiah is trying to get off of the table. So here's how scripture points to that. The title of this message is The Blessing and the Curse. And we're going to jump to the prodigal son at some point. I love that, that Beck talked about that earlier. He was up here, you know, announcements, prodigal son, and I was like, great, he's stealing my entire message. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> we're going to jump to the prodigal son, and I'm going to show you that in this man's life, there was a point at which he had to call to mind the blessing and the curse in order to truly change and move away from the thing and the situation that he was in. So in verse 9, it shows us what we are being restored to. If we read verse 8 and verse 9, there's a distinction between the two. Verse 9 is the blessing. Verse 8 is the curse. All right? Nehemiah knows what returning looks like, and what he's saying to the Lord is, I understand the difference between the two. I understand the if in that statement. Remember the word which you commanded your your servant Moses saying, if. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you. Well, guess what happened? They were unfaithful, so they got scattered. He, he recognized the behavior of the Jews, put them in a place where they were scattered. And there's, there's no trying to twist that one. That's the truth. Okay? But here's the other side of it. Here's the blessing. He says, but if your choice, if you decide to return, and then he gives you details of where you're returning. If you return to me and keep my commandments... And do them. Those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, and I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. So let me take this back to this analogy with these kids in this gym. <laughs> if he says, if you return to me and my commandments, those are two things that he's asking you to turn from that sin and walk towards. If you're not walking to him and his commandments, and you're going to do them, then you find yourself right back in the same place, replacing addiction with an addiction and calling it healing. Where do we see this in Scripture? Okay. Luke 14, 26 is one of the Scriptures that we use in our discipleship process. 
Now, if you want to turn there, that's great. If not, really quick, it says, if, when, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must, and he uses this word, hate. He must hate his father and mother, brother and sister, wife and children, yes, even his own life. By this, you will show that, I, that you are my disciple. And what disciple is, it means you're a follower of Christ. Now, see, the English language doesn't help interpret the word hate the Hebrew and the Greek do because in that translation it says that the word hate simply means to love less he's not saying to maliciously go after your dad or your mom and spend time hating them (laughs) he's saying what I need you to do is if you really want to follow me when it comes to your relationship with your mom and your dad your sister your brother your wife and guess what your kids I need you to love me more. So if I'm trying to get rid of an addiction and my motivation becomes something that will one day pass away and one day will be forgotten, then when I turn, I'm going to end up turning right back to that thing. If my turning isn't towards the Lord and his commandments, which, ladies and gentlemen, is in Luke 14, 26. That is his commandment. Don't take my word for it. Go, go read it. Not only am I returning to him, I'm returning to what his word says. Then let's take Luke 9, 23. Another verse that we talk about <laughs> in our discipleship stuff, which I am encouraging all of you guys to get into because it's, uh, it's simply foundational. In relationship to the gym, that verse says, if, and he said to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me daily. That word deny is huge. Because what I do is I deny myself according to what I think denying myself is. You know what? I'm just going to say no to these things that I know I can say no to. And it's going to be hard for a little bit. But I think I can do it because I know those are the things God is telling me I think that I need to deny in order to get closer to him. What about the things that you don't even know that you need to deny that he knows? What about the things that you think are good in your mind, like going to the gym, like helping your body out, all of those things? I'm not saying those things are bad. Please don't hear me say that. But what I'm saying is that the the word deny in that passage, in that scripture, says this. I want the Lord to define for me what denying him looks like according to his definition, not mine. Because then what happens? Things come up to the surface that I had no idea that I needed to deny myself in. So here's what you you do. It moves you from telling God what you're going to do. And it moves you into asking him to show you what to do. You then, it points right towards your personal relationship with him. So if true confession brings true repentance and true repentance brings true restoration then when I turn from that thing 180 degrees I have to know what I'm returning to verse 9 tells us that if you return to me not things that look good or things that may sound good at the time and may be completely legitimate if you return to me and my commandments 
what did I do this morning? I just put some stuff out in front of you guys. What's the next part of this? And do them. What I am realizing as a pastor is that as we define this, these five-fold roles, we're spending time on Monday morning combing through the scripture. Uh, the five of us, me and Beck, my dad, Rick, Alec, um, and then we Skype Bill in from Ireland. It's fun. He's the floating head, as we call him. Um, it's giving definition not only to everyone else's lane, but it's giving massive definition to what the pastor is supposed to do. The pastor is a shepherd. And in the word it says, you need to know well the condition of your flock. Okay, but also what a pastor is supposed to do on Sunday morning is proclaim the word of God. Now, I've heard so many times from so many people, they, they leave a church or they say something on Sunday morning that's, I'm not saying anybody in here has said that, so don't think back to the conversation we had two weeks ago and like, oh my goodness, did I say that? <laughs> um, that I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed at that place, so I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Have you ever seen a shepherd lead his sheep to green pasture? And that's what I'm supposed to do with you. Lead you to a place where you can feed on something, the word of God. But have you ever seen a real shepherd lead his sheep to green pasture, bend down, pick up the grass, and shove it in the sheep's mouth? (laughs) That would be weird. Like, very weird. (laughs) You just don't see that. Because that's not their job. Their job is to lead them to a place where they can eat. So let's take that into this. As Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. As he calls to, uh, puts a calling on people's lives to be a shepherd. For me to shepherd you. My job is to lead you to a place to proclaim the word of God. And say, look, here's what you can eat. Here's what you can chew on. But what I won't do. Is I won't bend down, take this word, and just cram it down your throat. I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. So what I'm saying to you guys this morning is it is your job, as you sit in those seats and listen, to chew on this. To chew on this word. So that you can be fed. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to, hey, here it is. But the other side of this comment is what we have allowed in church today is for pastors to bend down and pick up some from here, pick up some from over here, pick up some from over here and say, here's what you need to eat instead of letting you eat all of it from Genesis to Revelation, all of it. So here we don't want pastors controlling us, but yet we let them control us because we only want to feel good, Jesus. Amen? That's why I want you to bring your word. That's why I want you to meditate and concentrate on it so that you can be fed. Feed on this stuff. What the Lord is saying is turn from all things that consume you that aren't me. Turn from all things that consume you that aren't me. If it doesn't look like me, turn from it. Because when you turn from it and look at me, guess what? I'm going to take care of those things that you turn from, that you think you need to pay attention to more than me, a.k.a. your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, and your children. If you are a man of God and a woman of God in your family, the Lord will take care of the rest. 
Amen. Now, really quick, uh, I think we have this up here. It's Deuteronomy 11. There it is. Now, the Lord makes it very clear. This is what I love, again, in Nehemiah 8 and 9. He makes it very clear. Just as he makes it clear that it's a heart issue, that you can't get away from that, Nehemiah makes it very clear that here's what it looks like on one side, here's what it looks like on the other. You just got to choose because there's consequences to both. The Lord is saying this to Moses. Let me make sure that's right. Yeah, he's saying, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. So he makes it painstakingly obvious. I'm going to tell you that this is what I'm doing. The blessing and the curse. The blessing is if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today. Verse 27. And the curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. See, he just makes it very very clear I don't think we have time to look at well yeah let's let's throw Deuteronomy 30 1 through 5 up there same thing so it shall be when all things have come upon you the blessing and the uh, curse which I have set before you and you call them to mind and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you the place where he's banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I commanded you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possess, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. That's, this is what Nehemiah is referring to. This is the cross-reference for this. Now, real quick, before we look at the prodigal son, restoration, returning. The prodigal son is used in the New Testament. The New Testament is the testament, is a covenant under which we operate. Jesus Christ. So the prodigal son is how we're going to connect this to us this morning. But before I do that, I'm going to say this. I'm going to make this statement. He's not explaining how hard it is to be restored. He's not explaining how easy it is to jump into restoration. He's explaining what it is. Does that make sense? He's, he's explaining the reality of what it is. Now, why do I say that? Because he uses if. If you're unfaithful, if you're faithful. Let me explain to you the reality of what restoration looks like. It, it's not something that we have to run through the, uh, the, the filter of, oh my goodness, this is so hard, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Oh, this is kind of easy, I kind of like this, blah, blah, blah. It's not hard or easy. This is what it is. You can choose it or not choose it. I can choose it or not choose it. There's times in the day where I do and I don't, and I need to not not choose it feed on this this morning <laughs> digest this this morning so again where do we see this in the New Testament we see it in the prodigal son which is in Luke 15 11 through 32 I'm not going to read that whole thing 
But before getting into that story, again, we have to understand there's the blessing and the curse in Nehemiah 1, 8, and 9. The difference between being faithful and unfaithful. Previous to the verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah confessed. There was a true confession which led to true repentance. And he's, he's understanding what true returning means so that true restoration can come about. Now in the prodigal son, that story, this boy leaves his dad out of nowhere. Just says, you know what, give me what's mine. I'm going to go and do what I want with it. And it's fun for a while. But then he squanders everything that was given to him. His entire inheritance. And he finds himself where? Eating with the pigs. Eating with the pigs. Now how, how in our lives have we removed an addiction? Replaced it with an addiction? And it worked out for a while. But then we found ourselves in a place that was equivalent to eating with pigs eating with the swine if you want to say that but here's what pulled this man out of this situation is that in that moment he had to call to mind not only where he was the curse but also the blessing where he used to be and he had to realize that the reason why he was where he was was because of choosing the if in verse 8 being unfaithful that's all it is there was a true confession in that moment that look I understand this I understand and I'm going to recognize one of those things we talked about last week recognize that the reason why I'm here is because of me but there's another part of it in order for him to get up out of that pig trough he had to understand what he was returning to now, I could, I could stay in this prodigal son business and talk about the fact that when we beat ourselves up and we don't truly confess, we don't really come to terms with what we're doing and what we're in, we stay in that pigsty. And we rationalize away, oh, well, this is just kind of what I deserve, and we stay down in there. There's times where we try to push up out of that, and we can't because we push and we turn, and we don't know where to go. We don't think the Father is going to accept us when we come back home. He wants to restore you to himself today because he wants you to come back home. I'm not saying everybody in here is off in left field or la-la land. But there are some places he wants to restore you. In order for this man to push up out of this, this pig trough, pig sty, whatever, he had to know the blessing, and it was called to mind the blessing and the curse. There was a true repentance. He walked away from that. There was nothing about that that caught his attention anymore. There was nothing about that situation that said, you know what? It's okay to live in this crap. When you call to mind the blessing and the curse, you realize, look, it's not okay to live there. You don't want to live there anymore. So there's a 180 degree turn from that. And you know where his first step was? Straight back to his father's house. Here's the part where uh, restoration has nothing to do with you. His father sees him in the distance. The first thing he does is he says to his servants, go start preparing a feast because my son's coming home. He didn't walk up to the front steps and ask his son, how do you feel about what you did? 
I need you to write me a letter about all the things that you did wrong so I can really see if you've changed. The fact that he was even coming back to the house showed that. Why? Because there was a true confession, a true repentance. And now the father wanted to restore his son. So Nehemiah is praying this because he knows what restoration and returning looks like. Because he wants the Lord to restore the Jews, restore Jerusalem, restore this wall. So he's calling to mind the blessing and the curse. That they were in the curse. In verse 8, they were unfaithful, they were scattered. But then they, they can and there's an option to jump into the blessing. If you return to me and my commandments, and then do them. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to go and walk in it. Then he's going to bring us back. He's the only one who can bring us back. That's it. So you guys with me on that this morning? Chucking with the brother? Let's get our worship team back up here and get prepared for offering. Restoration has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. It starts with him and it ends with him. What does that mean for us this morning? I'm hoping that the Lord, as as this word is presented to you, this message is presented to you, that you you understand that the Lord is trying to give you a, a picture of what to be restored back to. We are being restored back to the revelation of Jesus Christ through his word in our lives. Amen. That's what we're being restored to. The proper working of Christ's character in our lives. The, 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 the actual working of that. Which I made a statement earlier that confession is simply the removal of the things that stop us from operating the way Christ wants us to operate. Let's come up here. So, the Lord's word says that as the word goes out, it never returns void, ever. I love that. The Lord may be working on you this morning. We're going to take up our offering. You guys can go ahead and start playing. Uh, And just let the Lord kind of work on you a little bit, speak to you. And then there's going to be a time for you to respond to this. What is he doing with you when it comes to restoration? He's asking you to know he's trying to restore you back to him. And that's it. That's it. That is it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this offering, Lord. And Lord, there are things that we need to be restored to even in our finances. And we may think that there's the perfect program or here's where I need to invest. Well, the world's economy is based on buying and selling. Where yours is based on giving and receiving. You say in your word, if we simply give what is yours, you'll restore that back to us. There's restoration in that, Lord. And in that, there's nothing we can do about it except take care of our part. We want to take care of our part this morning. So I just pray that you would bless this offering as it goes around. And that what's given is given with a joyful heart so that we can use the resources to bless you as we already are. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus name you can go ahead so in this time I, 
really believe that the Lord is speaking to, to some of us about restoration and that he wants to restore you back to his heart into his commandments not some weird guy standing up here not some message that you heard or an analogy that you heard on the radio but the word of God that's what he wants you to be restored to and then restoration happens within that so this morning let's let's stand to our feet as we close and maybe there's somebody in here who wants to for the first time be restored to Jesus Christ understanding that it's because of what he did on the cross that bridged the gap between sin and our father and because of that we now have access to the throne what we've done is we've said, look, I don't want to do it my, my way anymore. I want to transfer my trust from myself to you. Maybe there's somebody in here who has never done that before. And you want to do that today. Today's the day you want to be restored. Because everything else hasn't worked up until this point. <laughs> Let's try something different. Try Jesus. So Heavenly Father, if you've moved on anybody in this room this morning, Lord, we pray that they would just, if they want to receive Christ right now as their Lord and personal Savior, that they would just throw their hand up in the air and we uh, will take care of you. But if that's what you want to do, be bold this morning. It's okay to let go and say, you know what, I can't do it anymore. Jesus, I need you to do it for me. If that's you this morning, just throw your hand up. Let this word sink in. If there's part of you that needs to get in front of the throne, the altar is always open. But let's let's walk out of here with a clear view of what we're being restored to in every situation. It's the, the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's sing this as we close. The altar is open this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Let's sing this this morning.
Lord, we just ask that uh, that you would continue to work in us and on us. Lord, us understanding that when we turn from something, we can't put anything else in that spot except for you. Nehemiah knows what returning looks like. Lord, we need to know what returning looks like. It looks like you, Father. It looks like the cross, but it also looks like the crown. And Lord, I pray that on this congregation this morning that there's a turning back to you, there's a returning to you, and then let you take care of the rest. Lord, we love you. We love you. Heavenly Father, we love you because we know that you love us. (laughs) Even when we're unfaithful to ourselves, Lord, you're faithful to us in everything that you say. We realize that it's not by our might or our power that things get accomplished, Lord, but it's by your will and your will be done forever and ever. So we thank you for this morning. We need you this morning. We want to walk away from here a changed people running straight to the throne. Be with us. We bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You're free to go home.